Welcome to the Dear Bronx Science Podcast. My name is Victoria Lee, a member of the Bronx High School Science Class of 2012. Through this podcast, I share stories from the Bronx Science community so that each of us can write a letter that starts with Dear Bronx Science. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and now let's meet our guest. So happy to have you on the show. And for listeners who are listening, we have Hassan Hamade. He is a class of 2012. So that means he graduated with me. And I'm excited to have him on the show because when I announced it on my Facebook with my own personal network, he reached out personally to ask to be on the show. And I thought he would be great to have on the show and also just for us to reconnect. So Hassan, can you just give a brief introduction to yourself to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I went to high school in Victoria. We were in probably many, many classes together uh, because we were a bunch of nerds and we took AP Chemistry and AP Micmac and all the AP under the sun. So we had a lot of classes together. We would also probably have the same after school bus together because we were both going to Queens after school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm an East Elmhurst boy. I'm a Queens boy. We both went to high school in the Bronx. So far, I, I went to college uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, and I was living a very free-flowing life. And then over the last several years, I've been in med school in upstate New York. Uh, and I reached out to you because I thought the podcasting idea was fantastic. I'm a huge sucker for podcasts. Uh, I think it's such an excellent form of social media because you could really... Uh, so, you know, some 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 podcasts are edited and, and people will cut them out the way they like. But in general, I just like the fact that two people will talk and you'll get better thoughts out of them. And that's why I reached out. I'm really happy you're doing this. And I'm really, more than anything, congratulate you on doing uh, this type of hard task. It's not easy. I'm sure you have a lot of work to do other than this. And I'm just excited that you made it happen. Uh, thank you so much, Victoria. Oh, thank you. It's always um, it's always great that um, when guests to reach out to me, it makes my job easier. And <laughs> you're a great conversationalist. So I'm really excited for our conversation ahead and for listeners to listen. And as am I. To, to, to backtrack, so we all start on the same page since many listeners have a tie to Bronx science. What did it mean for you to attend and graduate for Bronx science? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've actually thought about this question a lot when, so I went to a very tiny elementary to middle school, uh, private school growing up in Queens. It had like 300 kids for a K to 12 school. And I was there for eight years. I mean, it was a really like tiny private school, uh, very, very cheap because it was it was covered by like a by a fund by a donation fund. So I didn't really pay too much money for it. But it was a school essentially for immigrants. I mean, there are children of immigrants more 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 specifically. And that's all I knew for eight years growing up in Queens. And then I also knew growing up that that school in terms of college admissions was le- relatively limited just because of how small it was and how unknown it was. And that I, if the only way to grow in New York City that's affordable for uh, you know, in, in my family socioeconomics was to go to a specialized public high school. Um, and so I knew that system because my sister had gone through it a few years prior. And I took that SHSAT test, got into Bronx Science, was super ecstatic. And I remember getting there and it was just a whole bag full of surprises because I was not ready for this type of schooling. Very different than what I was doing before. Mm-hmm. Uh, very frightening in the beginning because one of my friends from my elementary middle school came with me to Bronx science for the first three weeks. And then he left because he just hated it. He was like, this is awful. And so very quickly I felt kind of like isolated and lost, but I stuck to it because I, I knew that this would be the place to grow and would allow me to, to, to reach an endpoint that would be at least at the time seemed very valuable and important. Um, 
and, and it was hard. You know, high school is hard. It wasn't easy. And, and it's interesting how I, I think about that from time to time, that it really was a challenge to learn how to do that workload while doing, you know, extracurricular activities, while making friends, while still enjoying just being a teenager in, in New York City, which is not easy to understand when you're from this little bubble of Queens when you're, when you're a kid. So, so you know, I, I have a lot of memories from the place just because of its rigor and because of the that period in your life when, when your brain is very malleable, very plastic. Yeah. And I didn't even realize that, right? You know, you're a kid, you don't know any better. But so many memories from the place. And as much as I enjoyed it when I was there, I actually started to resent it as I went to college, oh. which which is an interesting point. And I, and I don't say that to disparage the school in the slightest. It's 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 mostly because of the rigor that I started to come to a conclusion that may have been a little unnecessary. It was necessary to get into college at the time. But when I went to college, I had a lot of friends who went to prep schools, you know, could afford the private schooling that was 50 or $60,000 a year at the time, which would have been, you know, almost like a ridiculous quantity when I was growing up. Like, it seems like such a ridiculous point. But these guys seemed like they had a much easier time in high school and a more fun time. And yet still got to the same end point that I was in. And so that's where the resentment comes from. Yeah. Um, and, and. But later on, you know, having a cousin now who's at Bronx Science currently, so he's maybe 15 years younger than me, 10 years, something along those lines. He, he's a kid. I told him to do it. I told him to do it because I said, that's really the only way to grow and, and to, to get out of your comfort zone and to go the place where you want to be. And I still agree with that fact. You know, it really created tough students, kids who knew how to work, kids who knew how to hustle, you know, hopping on, uh, waking up at 530 in the morning or six in the morning to get to school to then be there all the way into like 6 p.m., getting home at 7 p.m., doing homework for three, four hours. I mean, it really built some tough people. I I do regret not sleeping enough. I will tell you that very, very directly and promptly. I don't think it's healthy for a young kid to not sleep. And I say this now, you know, having been in the medical field for a few years in med school, but even in undergrad, when I studied a lot of like biotechnology and physiology, you need to sleep. Yeah. And, and I think that's where part of that resentment comes. But on the flip side, you know, the people at that school some of these kids are, are incredibly inspiring. And, and you're seeing that now as we're doing these alumni talks. I, I've listened to a handful of them. They were just as impressive in high school as they are now, if that makes any sense. You know, not saying that they didn't grow, they grew tremendously, but these were impressive kids and they continued to grow. You know, they continued to do very exceptional things. They continued to think outside the box and, and, and do cool stuff. And these are just private, uh, public school kids, right? Local kids who, who weren't too different than myself, who just had some edge, whether it was IQ or understanding of the system or even just creativity. Mm-hmm. And, and they really took that far. And so Bronx Science was a stepping stone for all of us. Um, yeah. and, and it taught us a lot to take us where we need to go. I just will never forget. I bumped into, I forget his last name now, but his name was Adrian. He, I, I did a summer internship in California my, between my junior and senior year of college. And I was living at Stanford's campus and he was doing a master's program, I believe, at Stanford and we both bumped into each other. We were very excited because we ran track together. And, you know, we caught up and everything. And we said something about wrong science. We're like, you know, it got us where we needed to go. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some love-hate relationship going on there because of, like, that rigor and that difficulty. But it got us where we both wanted to go. He ended up going to – he went to um, U Chicago. I mean, exceptional school, very difficult, uh, doing very important things, I believe, in the graduate or research world. And even like yourself, right? Took you to Dartmouth. When yeah. Olivia was on this call, got her to Harvard. I mean, these things probably would not have occurred had we not gone there. I, mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain. I mean, at least where I was in my little time private school would not really have occurred. Yeah, that was the same thinking that 
so we were we were talking earlier before we pressed record that I, I I'm from New Jersey. I moved here in eighth grade, and I think mm. one of the reason why my parents decided to move was they recognized that while the school system we were in in New Jersey was pretty good, it my mom thought it wasn't producing the college results that she thought that my sister and I would be capable of mm. and didn't have the opportunities. And mm. I agree. I think Bronx science definitely was very rigorous, mm-hmm. love hate relationship as well, but. Mm-hmm. It got us to where we wanted to go in a low cost way. Like in a very low cost more way. private school. That's just out of the yeah. question. Yeah, it really was out of the question. It's it's out of the question. Uh, and I'm not opposed to private school. I, you know, if you have the money for it, go for it. Like, you know, why would you want your kids to take the subway two hours, get to school and, and do AP classes until 8 p.m. or whatever it was? Yeah, it's it's a little unnecessary, but I didn't have those means. Um, and it would have been unfair. even if I did, it would have been, I think, in many ways, unfair to put that pressure on my parents. Um, even looking back at it now. So, so, and, and here's another question. Would we have even fit in? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, we, where we went to high school, a lot of kids were kind of like us, right? It makes it easier to, like some kids, because there are even some kids in our high school who were just slightly so different than us that I would still feel a little uncomfortable without mentioning any names or any, you know, parts of the city, but there are parts of the city that are just not like us from Queens, you know, and, and the, they, they did different things over their summers and, and hung out in different ways, you know, after school. And, and that's just a different culture. And it's hard to kind of mold into something that isn't necessarily you. Mm-hmm. And how, so, how did you feel about that when you went to college? And I think that was the part that I had to struggle with because there are some kids who went to prep school, which, it took me until college to realize, oh, that's private school. Yep, People yep, who went yep. to private school and they're from mm-hmm. different backgrounds. And mm-hmm. you were talking about what we have fit in mm-hmm. as private school. How was that in college? So I, I think in college, it's a lot easier. I actually became very close to a good number of them, um, which is why I, you know, I got to know. Uh, definitely many of them were insular, no doubt. You know, there's, there, there's a level of, there's a circle for some of them that you know, they're very polite. They're very friendly. They, they, they really are. Many of them really are genuinely good people. But there's a circle. There's an insular bubble like any group of people are. Um, I got along with a good number of them. Some of them are still lifelong friends for me now. And more than anything, I use that as an opportunity to learn about other people and the backgrounds that they grew up in and how that's molded their their, their worldview and their trajectory for their life. And it really started to change me as a person, too, and in many ways for the better. Um, the way I like to see it is, is that, you know, these colleges tend to, you start to do this weird selection process where you first, you start picking up the smarter kids from New York city and you put them in this, in this public school, specialized high school system. And then you take the top percent of those kids and you start to put them in these top tier schools as well. And it, you know, keeps shuffling and distilling and crystallizing, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, doing air quotes for the people who are listening, but like what they would call like a better student. And, and, you know, I, I disagree with that phrase. There are better students everywhere. Um, but there's a type of student that they start to select for. And because of their diverse backgrounds and how they view the world, I start to think differently and bigger, which, which I thought was, was, was huge. You know, when I went to Brown Science, I thought the most respectable job you could possibly have is to run a lab and win the Nobel Prize, right? Because mm-hmm. Brown Science has the most number of Nobel Prize winners uh, more than like Australia or something. So I think we're like eight or nine now. It's, it's some outrageous number. Yeah. And at 15, I thought that this was the most important thing on the planet, winning a Nobel Prize, becoming, you know, the science researcher, MD, PhD, blah, 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 the, you know, curing cancer. And, and this is like as good as it possibly gets. When I got to college, I came to the conclusion that the Nobel Prize is probably bullshit for most, for most fields, specifically economics, hate to say it. 
um, not replicable, a lot of really silly outcomes. But at the same time, there's a lot of careers that are very valuable to, to yourself and to society. And I would have never known what those careers or, or career paths were had I not, you know, been introduced to these kids who yeah. some of their parents were CEOs. Some of their parents were governors and senators, which was actually really cool to, to hang out with. Some of their parents uh, were these big hedge fund managers. And yet, interestingly enough, for a lot of these kids, I actually didn't even realize how rich they were until someone told me, which I thought was fascinating because I always had like, you know, you have this notion of like what a billionaire would be. And then I went to college and I met a lot of billionaires and I had no clue they were billionaires, like at all, zero. And, and it's just because how they are. They just are, for the most part, regular people until you realize, you know, they're vacationing in France over the weekend, but they just wouldn't tell you because they're very polite. And, and, and it's actually very respectable to see. Uh, when I was 13, 14, I was that Occupy Wall Street kid. Seriously. Like, I, I was like, the banks are bad, the, the uh, you know, very left-wing in that regard. I don't know if we did Micmac together, but I definitely was like that leftist kid in, in Dr. Lin's class in terms of economics. And it really changed my views as I went to college. You know, I started mm -hmm. to realize uh, not all of these rich people are villains. If, if anything, many of them are actually have done their job very diligently and, and have made their wealth in a relatively productive manner that supports other people. And they're not necessarily malicious people either. Some of them are, some of them are, but in many regards, a lot of my friends were not. And I think that opened my eyes to that, to think that you can be rich and, and, and make money, so to speak, and not necessarily be, you know, a morally corrupt individual. And that was like eye opening. I learned it quickly in college, but it was eye opening because I never thought that way in, in high school mm -hmm. because I didn't know anyone like that. Cause we were all surrounded by people of Pretty similar. Yeah, economic for the most part. Some were poorer than, than my family standards. Some were slightly richer, but really in the same range relative to some of these guys that I met in college. Um, and, and that was just a great point. You know, it was a great learning tool. And if anything, this this allows you to now make a real decision. You know, and now you have a variety of friends from different economic classes, from different diverse backgrounds. So the thing is, you know, we grew up with diversity, right? Queens is a diverse setting. Mm-hmm. Bronx science was a diverse setting. I mean, we were what, like 60% Asian American. I mean, that's yeah. fantastic. Where do you get that in America? You really don't. Everyone I know is, is yeah, I went to high school with completely you know, a white Caucasian background and that's about it. We had backgrounds from everywhere, from all over New York city. So we've always had diversity from that end, but we never, I don't believe we had economic diversity. And, mm -hmm. and I, I met people that were poorer than you would believe and people that were much richer than possibly we could ever dream of. And if anything, that gave me a greater understanding for how the world works. And, and, and I appreciate that tremendously because now I, I do feel that I'm a much more open-minded person because of this and, and start to think more deeply with less of a bias in some regards due to the nature of meeting other people. And so did I fit into that culture? A little bit. Some of them I'm really close friends with, other ones not so much. And that's just normal though. I mean, you can't, you, I don't think it's even safe to chalk that up to just uh, the different, you know, class diversity, but even just personality type. Some people you won't get along with at all, like zero. And, and some people you will just because. And it has nothing to do with class or background. It's just a, a personality type thing. And, and I think that's also a wonderful point to remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As I, yeah. as I think through my time, <clears throat> through my life, it's from New Jersey to New York City, the culture shock each time and then getting mm -hmm. you know different people. And then, like you said, I think Bronx Science, a lot of people, like a lot of like racial diversity or maybe not so much as like the socioeconomic, but then right. going to college for me, it was like the socioeconomic differences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Getting to know people from the different areas. Like I, I still remember my freshman roommate, I just said offhandedly, 
oh, what's financial aid do? And she's like, oh, no, I'm not on financial aid. I was like, oh, Oh, right. my God. I had the same talk. That's hysterical. My freshman spring, freshman year spring, I go across the hallway and we have to do the financial aid form or whatnot. And I asked uh, the guy who lived across the room from like, hey, dude, um, you know, when's the financial aid form or where do I fill this out? And he just looks at me. He's like, oh, I don't fill out financial aid. And I was just like throwing it back. I was like, wait, what? Isn't tuition like 60K like this? Because it's a very ordinary kid. He really wasn't like that. He, he wasn't from the millionaire billionaire class. His parents were just relatively well off. The two consultants that lived in or lobbyists lived in D.C. So they could afford one one of their children to go to college and pay the 65K it cost at the time. And, and that was like a huge culture shock, but also made me understand like I didn't under I didn't know what the full economic spectrum was. I always just assumed 65K was a lot of money for college. And for some people, it's just if you plan ahead and save enough, you could do it. You could afford it. Uh, many people, that's not the case. Many, many normal people, this is not the case. But but that was a culture shock. And I'm so funny that you said the same thing. Like I asked my roommate, she said, nope, don't even know what you're talking about. Um, I'll give you a good statistic. So Brown had a number that said only 60%, no, 60% of people at Brown did not receive any financial aid whatsoever. So some people would get like $5,000 here and there. So those guys don't even count. So 60% of them were paying fully out of pocket. And it's not because they, not because the school didn't want to give them money, but because they're so beyond on the economic scale that they would have never qualified. That's a huge number, 60% that's able to pay 65K. I mean, it's, and this was back in 2013 or 14. So mm -hmm. you know, now it's probably like 75 or 80K. I don't even know. It's, 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 the inflationary rate for that is pretty huge. Yeah. 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 I remember um, to Dartmouth, I guess, for some reason, for my financial aid, they were able to tie it to an alum who helps pay for it or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember the exact thing. And mm -hmm. they had a dinner for us yep. to meet those people. Mm -hmm. And I met him. It's like this this old man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hi. You guys were great. Yeah. And it was like really great speaking with him. And also, it was also just like, wow, this guy's like definitely the one paying for my yeah, school it, education here. I love it. <laughs> It's fantastic. It's it's yeah. Those dinners were so funny. And you roll in, you're 19. These guys are like 70. Yeah, they're so happy to like pay for you because it's like chump change for them. It's like, oh, you cute kid. He's sixty five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's really such an interesting dynamic. Um, and it really just speaks, I guess, to the uh the financial inequality for those that are in the know how and those that aren't. Um. And, and without passing judgment on that outcome, it, it's an interesting phenomenon. Mm -hmm. but, but I learned that in college. I wouldn't have understood that in, in high school. Yeah. So that, that's, it's a valuable lesson. Yeah. It's like, it makes me think back to, um, so Dar uh, I almost said Dartmouth, Bronx Science, Bronx Science, they had that uh, basically a giant uh, networking event between the alums and the students. And oh. I met a student. And he asked me about, he kind of basically said, what's the point of college? It's so expensive. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I was kind of, yeah. And I said, that's a good question. And I said, yes, there are loans. But then I told him my strategy was study my butt off mm -hmm. in high school to try to get into the colleges that would give better mm -hmm. financial mm -hmm. aid and explaining mm -hmm. that to him. But it also just made me think that for us, like, you know, like we said earlier, private school was out of the question, making sure we got into a school with a good financial aid, just right. that we don't right. sleep. Right. Butts off right. right there. That that's really that that's what it was. And and interestingly, I wasn't even thinking that far ahead at the time in terms of like, you know, better financial aid package. I had no clue. My my sister went to Stony Brook and so and she was she was fully covered in terms of tuition through the WISE program. And so we never even really thought about college tuition much until I started to apply. But 
so that was never really an intrinsic driver for me in high school because I didn't know. You know, I just I was ignorant to that fact. I just always assumed there would always be financial aid in some regard. But I did understand that, and I don't even know how I understood this, but I knew that deep down, unless you went to a pretty solid school, what would the job market look like? Because if you remember, we were the kids in the 08-09 crisis. Yeah. And I was very attuned to that. I, as a child at 12, 13, I was very attuned to that outcome that there are all these people losing their jobs, whether they were bankers or, or, or anything, you know, all these like jobs that seemed regular, so to speak, people were losing them and they lost them for no reason whatsoever besides this economic crisis that occurred from the mortgage-backed security um, uh, epidemic. And what's interesting is I just kind of knew deep down, like you need to go to a good school so that if you're ever in this 0809 situation, which will occur again at some point, it's it's inevitable. Do you have the skill set and the name recognition to kind of always give you credentials to work? Yeah. That's how I viewed it at 15. I view it very differently today, but that was really always like my intrinsic driving force. Uh, and it made sense to my brain at the time. It made perfect sense. I'm glad that you knew more, you know, more ahead and you understood the financial aid system. I think maybe that would have made me study harder. But no, it's <laughs> a pretty good outcome. I, I guess like as you were saying, I was like, wait, did I know the financial aid? I think now I'm thinking back, maybe my head was just thinking, I don't think I knew exactly how financial aid would, but I was thinking, oh, you know, better name brand school probably means better mm-hmm. opportunities, whether that right. means financial aid or something. Right. Or right. I didn't even know where I wanted to go. I just wanted to put all my ducks in a row. Yes. Yeah. Just- yeah. I had no clue. You know, people ask me like, people like, did you always want to go to Brown? I was like, no, I had no clue. It's, I, I hate to say it, but like with, with, with my parents, and our immigrant backgrounds, like you don't really know these things. How do what would I have known difference between Harvard and and Yale and Brown and et cetera? So I had no clue. If I got into Harvard in high school, I probably would have gone. Having visited Harvard a, a healthy amount during my undergrad career, I knew that I didn't like it. I wouldn't have known that at seventeen. And 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 for example, like when I'd go visit Yale, I actually really liked Yale. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I went to a party in Dartmouth. I thought that was cool too. <laughs> 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 you got, you guys really know how to party over there in the woods. But <laughs> don't say that too loudly. <laughs> oh no! Delete, delete, delete. Put it out. Put it out. Um, and but I wouldn't have known that. It's just the few the, the few schools that I thought were impressive that I got into. Brown just seemed like the more fun one, fun in this, or, or the one that would give me more opportunities, just for my limited understanding. And it ended up working out very well. I don't know. I always question: Is it because I went there that I started to like it so much? Because when I first got there, first semester, I actually was like. I didn't like it at all. It was outside of New York City. I, I, I felt very away from family. It was the first time I from home. I, I was a bad student in undergrad, like first year and change. Terrible student. I didn't know how to study for anything. I was used to Bronx science in terms of cramming and procrastinating and trying to get things done as fast as possible. And that didn't work in undergrad at all. And, and, and it really kicked me in the butt until I finally figured it out. And it took me at least a year and change to figure it out. Um, so my grades are really funny. It's like you're doing really well in Bronx science and blit, you go down a little bit and then you slowly start to pick up till you finally reach like a pretty good, uh, you know, cruise control pace, which, which took a minute. And in many ways, you know, I didn't even know who to ask. Like, how do you do well in Brown? I had no clue. I yeah. didn't know. And it, it was a learning curve for sure. But the point I'm trying to make with all of that was, did the school make me like it over time? Or was it always kind of like a perfect fit or are you molded in that shape? And I don't have an answer to that. I don't, but I do know that I wouldn't have liked Harvard for hundred percent. No doubt. Sorry, Olivia. Like what you're hearing? 
Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. I upload a new episode every Sunday. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you, and thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Did you visit the schools when you were applying before? I visited Brown because my uncle was actually finishing his pulmonary critical care fellowship there. And I remember distinctly telling him at 15, I don't like this place. (laughs) And I'm not going here. (laughs) I thought it was such a silly place at the time. I'm like, it's like the streets are broken. These houses are all over the place. It's not a closed campus. Like what a concept. Why why would I want to go to school? It's like all over town. Like it seemed crazy. And and it's funny how I ended up going there. And I was like, huh, here we go. (laughs) So it's, it's, uh, that was the only one I visited. I didn't see Harvard. Uh, I think I went to Columbia just because it's there. Yeah, it's right there. And that's as far that's as far as my memory takes me. And then Stony Brook because my, I would pick up my sister when she was an undergrad. But that, that's as far as it goes. Gotcha. Yeah. I was lucky that I think I versus when I when I talked to other Bronx Science alum, I think I was lucky that my mom actually was kind of aware or pretty aware actually I see. of the college system. So like my dad was completely checked out, not aware. Like he didn't know English. Like there's no way he would understand yeah. what was How happening. You know? But my mom was very much aware she mm. i think my junior year like summer she's planned like oh we happen to be up here pretty north north and then oh, no like might as well check out dartmouth oh so you checked it out you're totally new hampshire yeah we were <laughs> funny, a trip. So, funny story is the reason we were up that north was we so bad we knew some people still in um, new jersey mm. and they go to this summer camp called chinese family camp <laughs> i love it <laughs> which was I in massachusetts those so camps we, are great. Chinese family camp. So we went up to Dartmouth and we went to Williams as well. Williams, I forget where that even is. Where is Williams? Williamstown, Massachusetts. That's mass. Okay, okay. That no no no. I, I'm beginning to remember because I would I would visit new I would travel around New England a lot when I was an undergrad because I, I never used to I never knew it before when I was living in New York, you know, in high school. And and I remember I'd go to like towns like Williams and I'm like, oh yeah, that's where that place is. That makes sense. Um, but I, I haven't really been back since, even though mass is about 45 minutes from me now to the, to the East, mm-hmm. uh, still long off, but yeah, <laughs> that's just, yeah. that's just me. Interesting. So you went to New Hampshire Yeah, no, I've only been there once to, 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 uh, yeah, to, to go out there. Right. And that's about it as far as I ever went. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's really important that like if students have the opportunity, I don't know, obviously now probably not as much, but if there is go and visit if you're able. Like, I think, I think Bronx Science had visits like for students to go up or go to different schools to check out. Oh, interesting. You know, they may have, now that I think about it, they may have, I don't remember going on any of those trips. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, tell you the truth, for me at least, like I, I understand the value for, for people. I, I think it actually is kind of personality type. So, so my friends now, so I actually went through the same process now applying to residency. Mm-hmm. And this is the first year during COVID because of COVID rather, that in, in the past, yes, you traveled a lot to apply for residency. You do these like uh, pre-residency dinners, you go, they take you around town, you, they show you the hospital, the resources, et cetera. And they put on a show for you. You know, they try to, to, to convince you like this is a place to rank highly. And, and it's really all over the country. Mm-hmm. Yet, truth be told, for someone like me, I don't need too many data points to make a decision. Yeah. The only unfortunate outcome is I need to... It, I need to sometimes visit a place just to get a quick sense. I don't even have to talk to anyone. I just have to sit there and say, can I live here? At 15, I said, I can't live in Providence, Rhode Island. I I visited my uncle at 15. I saw it. 
thought it was trash. I was like, oh, this place sucks. It's not like New York City. Because you're 15. You know, you don't know any better. Yeah, you don't know what you can live in. You, do, you don't know what. And, and funny enough, I actually started to, to, to hate New York City afterwards. I, I loved living in New England. I thought it was fantastic. I got tired of the noise. I hated taking the subway. I got tired of all the people. I just wanted quiet. And, and Providence was like a quaint, charming town. And, and I truly fell in love with it over time. I, by the time I, I started falling in love with it in my sophomore year, by the time I was a senior, I was sad to leave. I was like, this is a charming place and it's got a magical component to it. And I'm really upset to go back to New York City because I'm like pretty sick of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you probably felt very similarly in New Hampshire. You're in Chicago now, so clearly you didn't stay in New York. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, listeners can't see this, but I'm nodding a lot for a lot of the things you're yes. saying. Yeah. I, 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 that's why I'm like, yeah, I, I live in Chicago now, not mm-hmm. New York City. Chicago's a great city. So so for all, if anyone's listening from high school, don't forget that there's some great cities in the Midwest and they're truly enjoyable to live in. It's it's you, Chicago, I would argue is better than Columbia. I would really argue this. So if you're thinking about staying in New York just to be close to family, double consider that twice you know really really just think that there are these quaint towns that are fun to live in and will show you the diversity of america which is a lesson that i learned in college and i wouldn't have accepted that at 15 i just wouldn't have so so sometimes it's if you it's you never know where your where your uh, luck and love comes from mm-hmm. and so let serendipity take you you don't have to overanalyze or overthink things sometimes just let it go yeah it's like that part where you said that you can just you didn't need, you don't need to collect that many data points like you mm-hmm. could just go like that's how I felt at Dartmouth when my mom after we you know took a break from Chinese family camp yeah. I up to New Hampshire yeah. to Hanover mm-hmm. I remember standing in the middle of the green and I was like wait I kind of like this place and I hadn't yeah. really talked to many people yeah. but also it was just a beautiful Hanover summer right right and their summers there are beautiful I mean it's, yeah. it's the air is fresh it's it's so fantastic up there um, and I'm actually really happy you got that sense I I really want to tell people like. As you mature, and it depends on your, you know, your your state of mental health and mood. But if you are in a in a good place, and and I'm just you know trying to be aware of people who do suffer from mental health uh, problems, just to be aware. If you are in a good mood, go to a good place, go to a place, and see how it makes you feel. If you're in a neutral mood, do the same thing. If you're not in such a good mood, or in a more let's say depressive state, be careful. It will sway how you view a place, and you never know that it actually might be beneficial to you in the long term. Mm. Um. I say this because I, I was actually highly interested in psychiatry before I ultimately decided onto a different specialty. But for a long time, I, I was actually kind of obsessed with psychiatry and, and thinking about how you view places with how your feelings are at the moment. You know, how your how your affect, we like to call it, your mood and your affect is. And so, you know, definitely get a sensible place and and just go for it. And I think if I remember correctly, you applied to Dartmouth early, right? You got an early no, I uh, like like you said, Yale didn't seem that bad. I, I went Yale. to Yale. Yale, that was the one. I remember now because somebody else without mentioning names got into Yale early, and I remember having that talk with you. Um, yeah. and you probably I know think it all worked. Through. It all worked out though. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, guys, whoever's listening, it works out. If it's just alumni, it's not doesn't matter to you. But if you're not an alumni, you're just in high school somehow, and you stumble onto this, it really works out in many regards. It really does. Like more often than not, it sounds crazy to think, but it does. And a lot of it really becomes, you know, what you make of it and and the friends you surround yourself with and the classes you end up taking and the professors you end up, you know, going under their wing and having them mentor you. There are opportunities in many places. So so really don't anchor to one place. Don't think that all your your fortunes will come from one outcome. It won't. There are fortunes in many outcomes. Just be open to it. And yesterday you were talking a bit about this, that like you were interested in psychiatry, but then you decided on 
your specialty you're yeah. interested in. Like what 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 is that? Where are you now right now in your medical? Yeah. Country? So it's actually I, I I just realized this now, but I wish we had this talk literally three days from now because I find out if I get into my specialty on Monday. So you know the stress monster is kind of creeping in slowly. Um, I'm keeping a, a, a strong and steady facade of, of calmness, but internally, you know, definitely feeling that, that stress creeping in. But it's, I, when I got to medical school, um, I thought I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. And the reason why I thought that was, I, I guess I have to give a little bit of background. So okay. I went to college. I'll give you the quick rundown of my life. I went to college, didn't know what I wanted to do, did history for like a semester, hated it, thought it was awful, kept jumping from like uh, degree to degree until I finally found something that I enjoyed. And I felt I, I fell in love with biotechnology and I ended up majoring in biotechnology um, and really, really liked it. At the time, I also was was interested in neuropsychiatry, like neuropharmacology specifically. And I thought it was fascinating, you know, how, how different drugs affects your dopamine receptors and your serotonin receptors and how that influences people's behavior and their uh, and, and affects their mental health, whether it's schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, etc. Um, OCD, so on and so forth. It's a really fascinating science. So I always had an interest in that, in pharmacology and, and, and the neuro uh, psychiatric system and how that works. Till this day, still very fascinated by the whole thing. Um, I then took a gap year. So I was doing like biotech engineering type stuff. Decided I actually didn't want to do engineering after working in the Bay Area between my juniors and senior years, I was actually building a surgical robot, mm -hmm. at, uh, Intuitive Surgical. They make the DaVinci robot. Fantastic company. Best internship of my life. I just realized that I'm not a very good engineer, like at all. Terrible. Uh, but sorry. It's just I, I, and I knew this and I knew that I could probably get a good job, but I'll never like become like the next Elon Musk, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of was kind of my drive in engineering, like to make something so important that would benefit people. Uh, it was always a driving force and, and I, I really enjoyed it. But then I didn't, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I took the MCAT because my sister told me to take it. She was in med school at the time. She said, look, it doesn't hurt to take a test. It's, it will give you three years of this option to apply to medical school. And I like that reasoning. I, I learned in college that you really, in many ways, your best decisions are based off of giving yourself options, optionality, which in the econ is probably spoken to about a lot, right? Yeah. You know, it's, you don't have to take that choice, but as long as it gives you the choices, you're actually setting yourself up in a very positive and fortuitous manner. Um, and so I took the MCAT. I, I, I took it if, in case I'd want to apply to med school. I followed my friends into finance because that's what they were all doing. Consulting or finance. I applied to both, got a job in finance, took it. Mm -hmm. Not knowing anything about finance. Like, I think I read that one book by Michael, uh, by, by, by Michael Lewis about the big short, which mm -hmm. I fascinating books. And so I figured maybe I would like it. Really didn't like it at all. Quit my job in three months. I, I hope the people who hired me didn't don't hear this because I quit just because I hated it. Um, and and I quit in three months. I ended up working through a friend of a friend, this plastic surgery group who wanted to build a medical device. Mm. So I was you know I was working on a medical device in California. It's a skill set I kind of understood with the FDA. I said yeah, dude, they're hiring. I quit my job. I'll, I'll totally go. So I go work with these guys on Long Island uh, to build a skin grafting device, which is actually super cool. They ended up. Uh, patenting and selling and it was, it was really great to work on it was actually a lot of fun i was a product manager actually honestly oh, okay. what you were doing i was leading a team i i i was an okay engineer i understood the engineering language i knew how to how to work with a lawyer to get patents i knew how to get something approved by the fda um for my previous internship and i knew how to kind of work with doctors because i sort of understood the lingo from my biotech background 
ultimately I felt that these, this group was doing such a cool job being doctors and physicians and helping people, but also having this entrepreneurial background of making products. They, they wanted to make the skin grafting products for, for themselves, you know, for mm-hmm. their patients. They wanted to make something that would save a lot of skin tissue to heal ulcers because a lot of their patients are just these chronic ulcers. You need to put these complicated flaps to heal them. It's very difficult surgery. And so it would be easier to just have a good skin grafting device that takes a little bit of skin. You you shred it up, you sprinkle it all over the the, the wound and it heals. That would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked them, you know, how do I become like you guys? And they're like, well, you got to apply to med school, become a doctor and uh, just kind of follow suit. And I was like, all right, cool. I took the MCAT. I could totally apply. I applied relatively late in the game. I got very lucky in getting in and, and, and got into Albany Medical College, which is where I am now, just finishing up my fourth year. Um, but I entered my first two years thinking I want to do plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. When I started my clinical rotations third year, I realized I really hate surgery. In theory, it's fantastic. In theory, it's like the coolest thing. I did all this research in, in plastic surgery. I was, it was very cool. But when you actually sit there for six, seven hours, connecting two vessels together, connecting a flap together, it is tough. I mean, you are, I was exhausted. I did not. You wake up at four in the morning. You're back home at like 8 p.m. every single day, six days a week, seven days a week sometimes. It, it is a job for very tough people. Mm-hmm. And I am a softie. Like I, I did not enjoy standing. I did not enjoy waking up early. I, I really was like beat by the whole thing. And I also realized I like to think a lot. And, and surgery is more of a doing specialty than a thinking specialty. So then I, I ended up, you know, going on my, and first I was lost. You know, I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do anymore, which was terrible. Cause it was like my third year, I have to apply to residency in about six months. Like, what do I do? And I got into psychiatry and psychiatry was exactly not what I thought it would be. It, I used to always have this, this, this Hollywood imagination that psych, psychiatric patients are essentially just always in the same state that they're in and they don't get better. They just live in the psychiatric ward on and on and on and on. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. Completely couldn't be further from the truth. Psychiatry actually works incredibly well. Like psychiatric uh, therapy and treatments work very well. We had patients that would roll into the psych inpatient unit uh, completely catatonic or, or having like a um, exacerbation of their schizophrenia and other or, or their bipolar disease where they're very manic and they're trying to like fly and jump off buildings. And then three days later, through enough good antipsychotic medications, they're back to, to baseline, back to normal, so to speak. And, and I was fascinated by the thinking aspect of it and by the art of medicine more than anything. It's a lot of medicine is, is one of two things. It's either the science and rigorous guidelines or it's more of a hand wavy, we'll try this, we'll try that. We don't really know if it'll work, but it might. Yeah. And I really enjoy both aspects, but I definitely enjoy the day-to-day of the art of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it, I did it, I did it. And then I ended up doing, in a way, rotation dermatology, okay. which was kind of random. I was interested in dermatology because a friend of mine was in it, but I knew nothing about it. I ended up doing this rotation in dermatology. And it was everything that I loved about medicine. But at the same time, it was also procedural, which I loved from surgery, but it was short procedures. And I had to make a decision in the end. And I said, I like dermatology slightly more than I like psychiatry. Mm. So I ended up applying to dermatology, which I don't know if I'll even get in on Monday. I'll find out. It it may work. It may not. Who knows? And I ultimately made the decision that if I apply to psych, I will never go into derm. But if I apply to derm, there's a big component of psychoderm, which I find very fascinating. And I could always carry on in that field. And and that's, I gave myself the option. Uh, yeah, so I was thinking about that. Like you gave yeah. yourself, like you have that option kind of like when your sister said, go take the MCAT. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I like to live my life this way. I like to always give myself maximize options. 
an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And and so psych would have stopped the derm completely, but derm would not have stopped the psych. And so I applied that way. Dermatology tends to be a, a more rigorous field to get into um, just because of how limited the spots are in residency. So it's, it's it definitely is a difficult endeavor for me to get in. We'll see what happens on Monday. Psychiatry is a little easier currently, but these, these residency spots follow economics. And so psychiatric pay for psychiatrists has been increasing very subtly and regularly that it's actually become a relatively difficult specialty to get into. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say that I would have got into psychiatry immediately, but uh, currently it would have been slightly easier. So I chose a more difficult option. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yes. I think when you, when you say that point of having more options, I think it reminds me back in call at the end of college, my mom's like, like, maybe you should think of doing this. I'll give you more options than that. And I'm like, but I don't think I'll get in. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to apply. Yeah. And like, I, I don't, it's like, that's the part I struggle with. It's like, I know I should give myself more options, but then I'm always, it's like that mindset of, oh, I'm afraid of the failure. Mm-mm, the thing, which I, 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 I've gotten better good. at, but it's like something that I wanted to admit to listeners that you no, good. go for the options, but mm-hmm. also just don't be afraid to fail. Like you can apply. Yes. You get the rejection. Who cares? I, I seriously, I was, so in high school, I, I, I think there's no doubt our high school attracts a slightly more neurotic subtype. Um, <laughs> and then we start to feed off each other. Fear of failure is a real thing, and it's a difficult thing to learn that it's a lot of times it really is in your head. Um, and, and I'm not saying that like, yeah, just forget about it. You can't. It's very difficult. We're conditioned to, to have this fear of failure if all we're expected to do is to succeed. Anyone who's listening says, please, like I, I urge you and I'm doing this to myself, like I could fail. On Monday, I could get a, a, the email saying, dude, you didn't match. Uh, so get into a different specialty. Try something else. And this is okay. This is okay because without trying, without going for it, you're never going to get that chance. So you need to do it. Uh, and and that was a lesson I learned in college. That That's one of those greatest lessons I learned. And I try to live by that because it's true. Because my greatest chances have always come from trying. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it doesn't. And that's fine. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And to close out our conversation, just want to recognize, of course, this podcast is called Dear Bronx Science. We've been... You know, sharing a lot of our or your insights and experience with the Bronx Science community, but pretend that you're writing a letter to Bronx Science and you just addressed it, dear no. Bronx Science. No. How do you want to finish it? What do you want to say to Bronx Science, whether it's the school, students, mm. community, however you want to interpret it? Hmm. That's a very good question. I I think if there's one thing to say, you know, dear Bronx Science students, because uh, it's Sometimes you'll be lost. I remember being a little lost in high school. Follow your passions. Don't just do what everybody else is doing. But also never be afraid to challenge yourself. Because I think the best growth that I had in high school was always going for the harder things that I thought I'd be interested in, even though I knew I'd be bad at it. I understand that grades are really important to get into college. But if you find a passion that you're interested in early on, high school might be actually one of the best places to do it. And if you teach yourself early on to be okay with failure, quote unquote failure, you know, or not being as good as you think you would, should be, you're actually setting yourself up for a greater benefit in the long run. And it's hard to accept that at 15, but I'm telling you 10 years after high school, this is definitely the case. I would have been better off doing what I thought would be fascinating to me and not what I thought would be good for getting into college, so to speak. And I would have been a better student overall and a happier one had I followed that advice 10 years ago. 
So seriously, listen to your heart and just work as hard as you can on something that you genuinely like to do. Don't be lazy, but do 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 a good job. Hassan, well, thank you so much for sharing that advice with the students and with other listeners as well. And thanks yeah. for being on the show. Well, thank you, Victoria, for having me. This is a wonderful podcast. Thanks for tuning in to hear this story from the Bronx Science community. Follow us on Instagram at Dear Bronx Science to stay updated on new episodes. And if you're interested in being a guest, fill out the form linked on the Instagram page. Be sure to tune in every Sunday for a new episode.